You're listening to the Super Week Super Weekly Supercast. I'm your host, Evan. And I'm your host, Doc Chris Levo Bag. And I'm your host, Andrew Wilson. And I am your host, Michael Paul Jonathan Davis Tajjan. And today we have a special guest. <laughs> oh, I'm supposed to talk now? Yeah. yeah! Hey, everybody, it's me, your old uncle, Greg LeBold. Greg LeBold, everyone. What a, what a good bud. Well, speaking of being an old uncle, you're actually more accurate. You've got two old uncles in your family now because you are a father. I know it's been two years, but uh, that's that's still new news to us. Yeah. I mean, Chris, let's not try to uh, pigeonhole me into one box. I've got a new book coming out. It's Let's get right to it. I know I need to. You know, I'm supposed to plug my book. <laughs> High hats and hemorrhoids: the Greg LeBold story. Uh, yeah, I'm a dad. I am a dad. I am also an uncle. Wait a minute. Who? Of, oh, wait, wait. Your sister. sister. Your my sister. sister. Yeah. So you know, the reason I say uncle is uh, is because I always felt a little bit like the uncle of all the other band members coming in and out of our old stomping grounds, the warehouse. So. That's why. Well, that's fair. I mean, Evan's touched upon that before uh, relating to band name Breakfast, where you felt like the elder statesman of the warehouse, and it was up to you to provide for the young whippersnappers who are coming in trying to make punk rock. Greg was, in fact, I, I'll go as far as to say, maybe the heart and soul of the warehouse at its core, because I feel like... I would say he was like the limbic system in all of the veins <laughs> of it. Like the way his stuff was just like pervaded the entire space. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. Yes, I had a foot, hand, and... I don't know what other body parts I could say. They're in every room all over the house connected. I took great pride in making breakfast for everybody with band name. And that that whole thing, the band name breakfast evolved organically in the warehouse because Jeremy, Kat, and I were writing our band name breakfast record. And we all, I think, were out of work, as you should be too, kids at home, you know. Well, at least, yeah, especially this year. You know, stop working, start writing your album. And uh, bunker down with your friends, make some breakfast in the morning, and get to work. That's uh, that's essentially the beginning of the the band name Breakfast Saga. But yeah, it evolved into I was the potatoes guy, and Evan and I bonded over many massive hot pans of potatoes. <laughs> and you know, sometimes that was the only thing that breakfast really was uh, in the the hard days. But oh yeah, potatoes and eggs, baby. That's you know. But that's a choice, you know. We could have went and gotten jobs and had more more money and spent that on better food, but I feel like at that time in our life it was way more important for us to just be able to do our thing though. You know, like I mean I agree. I you agree. were making art 24/7 at all hours of the day regardless of if it was, you know, musical art or visual art or any other sorts of art, you were doing it. Especially when you moved in, there was a lot happening. I don't want to call it a renaissance so much, but when Evan moved in, there was this, like, Headroom was really taking it to the next level and just dominating the calendar of the recording studio. And so when anybody who moved into Big Mama's moved in, they, they had access to that recording space, but you had to sign it out. And if it was signed out, then you couldn't get in there. Evan just decided it's time to start playing drums really loud in my bedroom or playing drums really loud, recording guitar, whatever it was. 
Evan just blew everyone's mind with the concept of playing as loud as you want in your bedroom instead of the recording studio. And so that, to me, was the beginning of this epic wave of, okay, so now Evan's playing drums, Tiffany's playing drums in her room, I've got a drum set in my room, Peter's got a drum set in his room, Matt had a drum set in his room, Kat's room. Mikey, when yeah, Mikey, Mikey moved, moved in, in, Mikey's room was essentially just the practice space. Everybody had a recording studio then at that point. It just became everyone practiced everyone started making more music i think it was just like this melting pot of boiling over be just because you couldn't get into the space where you're supposed to be able to practice it forced us all to be more creative and i didn't even realize that's how you guys did it before i moved there i thought everyone was just going to be jamming in their rooms all the time well i'm glad that you had no clue because <laughs> evan's a living battering ram it's kind of just like the direction he's always gone and he's nothing's going to slow him down yeah. so i'm glad everybody hopped on board with him yeah i mean i think it was i think some people were like taken aback and i don't know who maybe it was just a part of me was like he's making loud noise and it's not in the studio but just as much it's still loud as hell through that wall lots of inspiring new creative things happening sonically visually uh what are, what are the other uh mediums uh taste or, or, yeah taste definitely taste uh senses that's definitely what that's what i'm smell. saying yeah mm -hmm. smelling yeah. yeah you never really think about people making creative smells there's not enough like of artistry kind of being uh celebrated with that you know well it's let me let me ask greg uh <laughs> greg your room was pretty much connected to the bathroom were there any uh you know smell overflows artists? yeah oh yeah all the time <laughs> uh so <laughs> i'm getting very excited talking about our old life but i gotta say it feels really great to not live right next to the toilet anymore <laughs> and you know it's been a long time since i've lived next to the toilet uh but yeah, could I you hear people doing I, their thing? I could, I could hear flushing. I could hear. I mean, I wasn't. You know, let's be honest. I really wasn't in my room all that much. I was <laughs> everywhere else. You know, yeah, I, I was true. in the whole warehouse most of the time in the screen printing room and in the the main area doing something uh, larger than could fit in the bedroom. But I had a closet that I had built into the bathroom. I like built it probably six, eight feet into the bathroom. So it created this sort of wall. That like an air pocket. There was like a little, uh, it was like a, like a plot buffer. So you weren't listening to all of the, you know, the splish splashing yeah. that was happening. If, on the that, if that room was 20 by 20 feet, let's guess, I don't know how big it was. The toilet was in the middle of the room and there was no stall around it or anything like that. So my bedroom essentially was a wardrobe closet before anyone moved in there oh yeah it was like smaller but taller than a typical walking closet. yeah it well i mean it was definitely very large in height it, it was about six and a half to seven feet wide and maybe 20 feet tall but there was no door i had to build a door and build a closet from the other door to create some sort of weird l-shaped room if that makes sense to anyone and built a loft we're getting very visual here, and uh, I'm sure you're all imagining this beautiful room next to a toilet. And yes, I did hear <laughs> sounds, and you know, let's let's just say there was only one time I can say I definitely noticed someone didn't flush correctly because it uh well the water flowed into my room and it oh. was like flooded my room and everything 
luckily that I had in there actually was raised up off the ground, maybe because I had seen the possible future of, yeah, no, of that's the toilet good, overflowing. Some good foresight. And actually, speaking of foresight, uh, I have to address my hindsight here. I forgot to do what we typically do up top, where we talk about what bands you've been in with Evan. Yeah, we just jumped right into the bathroom Well, why can't talk. you do what bands you've been in with Greg, too? You've been in bands with Greg. Well, uh, as we mentioned in the Mike Bell episode, Greg and I were in Huey Lewis in the News together for Jeff Myers. His and Would Claire, you say your best yeah. friend, Jeff, would be your best or up Jeff, there? Jeff is one of my eight best friends ever. I've known Jeff for a very long time. And I'll say to those of you who know Jeff Myers, Jeff and I were alternates in the eco meet back when in elementary school. And if you don't know what that is, you're going to have to ask Jeff Myers. Uh, he'll he'll let you know. Well, now we need to have a Jeff Myers episode just so we can figure out what that means. Yeah, 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 you do. But then, of course, also Evan and Greg were in Mike Bell and the Movies together. Mm-hmm. There was the briefly lived uh, Dear Reader that was the precursor to uh, when the weeks really started to become a real band where I had my handful of songs that Greg and Peter Helmus uh, helped me kind of flesh out. Yeah, so I, I know I was like trying to play drums with you. I think the weeks were beginning to happen almost. It was like Evan was about to start the weeks and also Mike Bell in the movies. Then we did Guitar Achilles and... Oh, Guitar Achilles, um, we both played in with Greg. Yeah. I was yeah. I was saving that for the end of the list because oh, okay. I feel like yeah, that's, blew, that's blew, the meediest. Uh, yeah, I blew the, you know. Like Nobody really... even knows what that is, though. That's the best part. Well, we actually, we've talked about Guitar Achilles on the podcast before. I mean, it was such a highlight for Evan and I. Uh, we've done a lot of stuff in music over, over the last, you know, like 12 years of being professional musicians. But for me, Guitar Achilles will always be a massive highlight because it's such an over-the-top, like, rock and roll show like in the truest sense like where we were doing like a high concept well why don't you tell uh, our listeners about what, what guitar Achilles is i would hope that it was a joy for you and and maybe the peak of your career was guitar because it was for me too you know it was really the only thing i ever wanted to do was make music and write songs and play with friends and I never believed I could write songs and make music because I was a drummer. Mikey, I I know you're a drummer too. And I don't know if if the band members ever talk down to you, like you're just the drummer. And, uh, or if they say, you know, Oh, that's wait. So- we've said that to you. I don't think we talked down to Mikey. <laughs> Mikey's better than us at just about everything. Mikey, I can think yeah, of. is literally naturally the best. At, I, there was the one time on tour where the uh, line to the transmission got messed up, and he fixed it with a drumstick. Like Mikey can just do anything. He 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 bends the laws of physics to his will. Well, you guys have a great appreciation for drummers. Okay. <laughs> you know, and that's the origin of Guitar Achilles is that, you know, I needed to create a rock and roll deity that could and would uh, sort of lure me into learning how to play guitar. I couldn't just say, I need to learn guitar and go get a lesson. I needed to <clears throat> create a character and have that character imagine they're uh, coming. They're coming to get me. And if I'm not prepared for them to arrive, uh, then the end of the world will it will be here. It's oh, the wow. end. I, I didn't realize that we were averting the apocalypse. In, by doing either that. we were bringing it or we were averting it. It was just both. sort of a little bit of, a, you know, there's this dual force, which if Guitarcules is coming, then you need to get ready. And so by the fear that Guitarcules will come and destroy you, you have become Guitarcules by way of learning the guitar and overpowering him. 
So uh, that was kind of the original concept, but I'm pretty sure Evan created Guitar Achilles. That's that's the big jaw dropping. Uh, the twist. You know, the twist of the story is that I was playing acoustic guitar, trying, trying, just sitting in the warehouse, and Evan came out of his room, dragging his feet in his slippers, whatever he was doing, and he saw we, me. We, yeah, we knew that distinct shuffle that said, Evan has. And he said, "When's?" I swear, he said, "When is Guitar Achilles gonna make a record?" But Evan might remember me saying the name of my band is Guitar. I don't know. I I swear Evan came up with the name. I, I can't. I don't think I can take credit with it. I mean, for those of you who know Greg, and for those of you that don't know Greg, Greg had many characters he created and still has, I'm sure. But you know, there's Mark Maycor and uh, Glory G. Biv. Yeah, Glory G. Biv, who are two. You know, two of your more popular comic characters you would use. And I, uh, I know. Uh, of your least popular character would have to be Raggedy Flaggedy, right? Yeah, Raggedy. Nobody likes Raggedy Flaggedy. Yeah, big mural of Raggedy on the uh, on the on the warehouse wall for many years. That was always trying to be covered up because it was always looking at you it the way the Mona scary. Lisa did. Yeah, nobody wanted to see <laughs> it was him. Really pretty. <laughs> Cat did a really good job. Terrifying, on that. terrifying mural. Um, but uh, yeah, it's Raggedy Flag Flag the old American hero, Raggedy Flaggedy. <laughs> yeah, there he is. Yeah, no. I, Nobody wants to see him, but, uh, you know, he might run for president in 2024. Oh it's pretty on um, brand. I mean, you know, it's uh, the whole flag outfit and everything. So, so yeah, it is very me to, uh, let's say, create characters to motivate me to do things. Um, but, but yeah, Guitar Hercules, we don't know where the name came from, but I do know that Evan was a huge part of driving me to step outside of just the drummer box, which some people would say drummers shouldn't try to get inspired and try to be the lead singer of a band or be the songwriter. Or, Tell that to Phil um, Collins. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and then and Dave Grohl and, and then... Mm. Um, and Jellyfish. And Jellyfish. That, that's a reference for nobody. Um, that's for Lewis. I'm saying that to Lewis because mm. he always used to make fun of me for trying to do what he is doing and then he needed me to stay his drummer and he was mm, yeah lewis is a man with boundaries yeah he didn't want me to go anywhere else he wanted me to lewis, stay of course with him. uh the guitar player and songwriter in greg's other band ape ape yeah yeah because i guess and our studio partner too I, yes well and that's the other big part of it is that lewis is your studio partner and ape was the band that we played in for a very very long time together too and then I left the band and took a year off and then we started jamming again and then I guess the warehouse had to stop. But, you know, Lewis is a big part of driving me towards still being a songwriter now. It's just he ha always has to give me that little like, you're still a drummer. You're not a leader, you know, which is uh, is fun to do because... He likes to pick on me. Mm, so that's motivating for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Because then every time I make something, he's like, that's a lot better than the last thing. So maybe not in those words, but. Well, ironically, though, he's always trying to play drums on his own recordings. Do you ever prod him about that? I'm so proud of him. I don't prod him for it. I'm proud of him oh, for yeah. it. Yeah. You're just a force of positivity. Yeah, I, I, I want him to play more drums, you know, 
in his basement, in his kitchen, wherever. I love listening to him practice parts over and over and over again just to record it. Yeah, I think that that's something that for him, you know, that was out of a need. He was just like, I'm now I'm the band. He's like, I lost my Greg. Too busy or yeah, I lost I lost my <laughs> I lost my great drummer. What am I gonna do? Kind Become of, a great drummer. Kind of try to play drums. Honestly, I don't think I can play the parts that he wrote now. You know, like the new stuff that he wrote. You should go listen to it. Ape. Oh, is it because he forgets to hit the ride bell? So you you don't don't know what to do? Yeah, hey, I have no idea where the time is. Where, <laughs> Greg I rely is notorious. On the bell. Yeah, he is uh like a like a machine gun on that on that ride bell. Well, speaking of uh Greg drumming on the ride bell, maybe we should take a listen to this week's song. Oh boy, here we go. I have no idea. Well, as we mentioned in Mike Bell's episode, Chris was like, oh, this is Greg. Or no, wait, what? I forget what happened. I got a little drunk. Oh, oh we, yeah, we saw Mike Bell like air drumming along with the drum part for that song. And he was like clearly miming hitting the ride bell. And I mentioned, I was like, oh yeah, distinct Greg LeBull's drum part. And he was like, oh, this is Greg? And it's like, dude, you're even minding hitting the ride bell. It's obviously Greg. <laughs> Greg was the, we were like, Greg was the drummer of your band. So you think he was miming me anytime he air drummed anything after being in a band with me? It's just. I think that you guys both had very similar influences. And I think that the way that Mike Bell was air drumming was very inspired by the way you drum. Because he plays drums like that. that that's the thing. I, I had him play with the gas band. and Wait, oh Mike Bell played God. drums yes. in gas? And, yes, I do remember they, that. They, he played in the Agents of Gas. He played drums. That was you, DCL, and Mike, right? Yeah, my brother, my brother Dave and Mike Bell were in the Agents of Gas. And See, Evan didn't recognize him because he had the, the sunglasses on. Yeah. Yeah, so it was yeah. the, the Superman theorem. Which the agents of gas, before we get into this next song, were a uh, sort of the secret service for Guitarcules. They were like the sworn protectors of the Guitarcules alliance, if you will. And Yeah, and, they were you know, like as the men in black are to aliens in a way. Exactly. The agents of gas were to yeah, Guitarcules. They, they just sort of were there to wipe your memory of ever even realizing Guitarcules was Wow, wiping was in particular thing. is a specific image of the agents of gas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, do not pass. Yeah. So uh, you can listen to all that on the internet at some point. But let's listen to this song uh, by, uh, what's the name of your band? At, well, at this time it was The Weeks, but the, uh, you know, the Super Weeks from our Song of Week project. And this song is called I'll Meet You in the Graveyard.
Well, I obviously I played bass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's definitely in my uh, full-on Giant Whistle plus even more cocaine era of my bass playing. So... Greg, were you on the Mike Bell in the Movies tour that we toured in Kev Keenan's van and like set up like a couch and a living space in the back for that tour? Or was that with Joe? Yeah, that I don't, I was not on that tour. I remember being there for the decorating of the van, though. I yes. do remember the preparedness for that tour and uh, joy and jealousy just stewing inside me because it looked very comfortable. It was great. Wendell filled it with dog farts. <laughs> and I destroyed the coffee maker because we somehow wired electricity into it. It was great, though. Uh, but I wrote that song on that tour after we woke up on the beach in Pensacola, which was my first time sleeping on a beach, which was very cool. And then Alabama is, you know, right next to Pensacola, right next to Florida, Mobile. And you go through this tiny little strip of it. Yeah, I just remember this song, like I went to a CVS and I talked to the girl who was the cashier and she was just like so miserable and the way that she felt about like being trapped in like Southern Alabama and like, you know, was just like, man, it's so cool. You guys are on tour. Like what I would give to see the world. That's where this song came from. I just remembered that story and listening to all these songs, it's like everyone is very... All of their personalities are very much shown. Yeah. Well, especially this one is such like an all-star lineup of personalities, like having Joe on guitar, obviously having Greg on drums, and then like, you know, bass nonsense. But I also heard uh, a melodica in there too, right? Was that you playing melodica, overdubbing I, that? I don't remember. Okay, because we, we didn't credit anyone specifically with it, so I assume it must be you. Uh, but that was also like the last kind of hangover of your hide-and-seek era where you had a lot of melodica a lot of other kind of like uh kitschier instruments but point being yeah it's just like a really potent grouping of personalities that creates like a very like that could easily just be like a basic kind of twee song but with greg's like powerful backbeat and joe's kind of like really interesting like constant vibrato happening it's a lot more distinct that way song was a lot of fun i will also say greg i feel like Apart from Mikey, you have probably drummed on the most weeks slash super weak songs. Well, I have my list here, actually. I, uh, I did my reading. Because <laughs> I don't remember, as uh, the drummers often stereotypically don't pay any attention to anything. When you need to be, where you need to be, whatever, you just want to play the drums. Mikey, am I right? Correct. Yeah, see? Yeah, I, I regret. That is one thing I regret about being a band member was that I wasn't more present in all aspects of of preparedness but I, I did do merch a lot uh but but with this band in the beginnings of the weeks project when you guys got together and started doing this i remember the first song uh if it was beauty and everything or john denver i don't know which one you said was the uh, beauty and everything was released first but i think we started recording john denver first that's correct so mm -hmm. so my connection to the weeks is from day one beauty and everything I scanned the artwork <laughs> for the album to be released on the internet. And I remember Evan needing it scanned. And I, I had that on my desktop for some reason, just the image, the file sitting there for the longest time. But the second that that happened, I wanted to be involved, like so badly wanted to be involved in the project because it was so fun. Whoever's around, 
come on in. We're going to make this song this day. But I guess John Denver, I found out I did vocals on it from one of your podcasts. And then <laughs> uh, that's in February 2012. So we have Plane Crash I play drums on. Addison Timlin I played drums on. And then here comes the epic Greg LeBold making album art. Because I think at that point I was like, Evan... If I can't be on the song, I want to do the art. Like, I remember really advocating for me to be your artist for a lot of this stuff. And uh, so then Lip Ring, I'll Meet You in the Graveyard, Black Box, Get Off the Internet, Bones. I did all the art for those and had so much fun. March of 2012 is when we did this one. Mm -hmm. And that was it for that year. And then it's not until December 2013 that I'm on a song playing drums, which I think was probably because it got hot. People were really catching on to how, how cool this thing was you guys were doing. <laughs> and, yeah. and I know for a fact that Mikey kind of claimed ownership at a certain point and was just like, I'm your drummer. Do not play with anyone else <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he's nodding it <laughs> well i mean i think evan yeah. told me that i'm the drummer yeah he was definitely the oh drummer. no i remember that conversation it was after we recorded uh or after we first started playing shows to support the first world is a terrible play cp i think there was a show i don't know if it might be like it was possible he couldn't play it or something and then we were thinking about getting pat but like that exact phrase where mikey was like listen i'm your fucking drummer I play drums in this band. If you're playing a show, I'm playing the drums. And we're like, yeah, that's great. Which, you know, was sounds like me. It was disappointing to to find out, but I understood. You know, I was in band name. I was in ape, most likely. You also recorded on a lot of bad year anyway. Well, like, that's the thing. I was listening back. I, I mean, I don't think I've listened to this much emo, pop punk, whatever, rock and roll, whatever you want to call this band. <laughs> I don't think I've listened to this much, this kind of music in a long time. And the last couple of days, I've just been going through the catalog trying to figure out if I was involved in a song or not. I was just like, the drums are seamless, you know? It's like so many recordings, uh, with the exception of the early days with the, the you can tell, mm. uh, different drummer style, but... I can hear on... I, I Greg, if it's, you're playing drums on a song, I'm going to immediately know that you you're playing listen drums for that on right a song. I, I hear the bell, and that's <laughs> I'm like, it's probably me, right? But like, I don't know if, if somebody else... I can tell when Mikey's drumming. You you play anything that Mikey's drummed on, I'm going to fucking know Mikey's drumming on it. Anything you play on, anything Pat plays on, anything Pat Breyer plays on, like all of the people who have played drums on stuff, you know, I would say that Greg, Mikey, and Pat Conaboy probably did the most drums on Super Week stuff or Week stuff, and I drummed on some of it too. And Mikey and I have arguments about what songs I played on on Bad Year because... <laughs> we're not sure sometimes yeah yeah well and that's the other part it's like the dear, dear reader, reader yeah. stuff when we first started doing that some of those became weak songs and i know i was developing drum parts for them and then either you asked me to come in and play them on the weak song or mikey learned i don't know you know i just don't have that memory it's i think for bad year you played on all of the songs that were dear reader songs that became super weak songs okay so you know this is the problem with Again, the drummer who's never really present unless they're needed for the drum part. <laughs> I, I feel like I have more memory and connection to making the album art stuff than I do the drum part stuff because I have the visual to reference, but 
it's also it's just like we're gonna spend eight hours trying to get drum sounds of course my brain is just gonna turn off and i'm not gonna remember yeah. this day at all and especially if i'm not involved in anything after you need the drums recorded like my brain will just melt that away well you definitely did vocals on the world is a terrible play cp you have the lowest singing voice of anyone we knew personally would you give us a demonstration of your uh low low voice uh, sure, Evan. How low do you want me to go? Can you sing me some low stuff? Um, what, what stuff is really low? Stuff <laughs> can get real low. Stuff gets real low. How low do you go? <laughs> I mean, I And mean, that, of course, is by the great Bing Crosby. Yeah, that's his yeah, classic, he, how low can you go? <laughs> it, uh, that's what inspired the limbo movement, and it just took off. But I listened to the song and then I forgot the name of the song, but it's very awesome. It's the one I sing the whole low voice all the way through. Oh, that's how to put an audience to sleep in under two minutes. That's the one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That song is like 15-year-old punk rock Greg would be freaking out to that song every time I hear it. It makes me feel like an emo kid. Yeah. So... You know, I have emo roots, and uh, I have nothing against them now. It's just that I don't really do that as much. Get emotional, you know? I, mm. I just... I don't know. I, I can recall a time, you know, where the Why Me monster came yeah. about. It well, was that's an emotional true. The Why time. Me monster is still there, yeah. Oh, you know, can we actually explore the origins of the Why Me monster? Because Evan getting poison ivy or poison oak or whatever it was on his bathing suit area was a major topic of conversation while we were talking to Mike Bell. Okay. And apparently it's possible that the Why Me monster was first, you know, kind of birthed, the progenesis of it was on that same trip in Big Sur. Well, so I think, because so Mike Bell and the movies were on tour out to the West Coast, and we were in Big Sur, and I know we all uh, got some kind of poison ivy somehow, because we were, it was dark. I forget what else was happening, but... Oh, we covered uh, the other details. Okay, you good. don't have to admit to them if you don't want to. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, no, I'm, I'm completely... I, it was the best night ever on that tour, of course, but... Uh, I don't know if the Why Me Monster was uh, an origin there. Yeah, I think it came from an earlier period in my uh, whiny, complainy days of my past. I was an emotional kid, you know. I just cried a lot uh, about things that didn't go my way. And I needed to recognize that that was a manifestation of something that, that was, it was sort of this, I want, I need, it's mine, it's mine. But, you know, you got to step outside of your self and look at the bigger picture and the why me monster is sort of this ever growing all consuming you feed it and it keeps feeding off of your sadness and then you keep complaining more and it is like poison ivy but i don't know how <laughs> uh i don't know how or when it actually became a thing but well the peak performance of it in, in my mind at least was of course when our friend jarmel uh performed as the why me monster at the second or the third guitar Achilles and first Agents of Gas show? Yeah, so we had Uncle Dump, the Agents of Gas, and uh, oh God, and, and Guitarcules perform at Little Berlin. All three and, of these are Greg Bands, part of the same sort of trifecta. Yeah, we called the Umbrella, the Guitarcules Umbrella. So there's all these bands that are sort of resting underneath Guitarcules Umbrella. But yeah, we had the Why Me Monster uh, essentially come in and scare me away. And uh, I couldn't perform. 
the Uncle Dump could not perform. And so then I, I left because the Why Me Monster scared me off. And then I had my friend Jenny Drumgool come in as a, uh, a fairy godmother with a, a jug and telling everybody to blow their inner jug. And and, and that would get me to come back out or the, the, just to get everybody. Yeah, like a Tinkerbell yeah, kind of yeah, element. Yeah, it was just yeah. sort of like, you know, you got to clap, everybody. And so she did that. And then the Agents of Gas came out. And I think uh, Corey was part of that. He came out because I kicked Mike Bell out of the band. And then Corey came in and then Mike Bell came back and then tried to kill me. And he killed me with a gun. And then and then I died. And then there was a funeral for me. And then Guitar Gillies <laughs> came out. And then the whole thing just devolved into a massive sonic wave of noisy guitars and cardboard masks and uh, right that show we all had different kind of demon masks on that yeah. made of cardboard yeah i was thinking one of my favorite costuming things that you did for us was at the second or maybe even the first no, no just for the second guitar Gullies show second guitar Gullies was at philomoca mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure the first that was at murph's bar was at murph's bar which was the smallest place to do a guitar Gullies show and the most unorganized guitar Gullies show ever but yeah. i just like that you started the set outside yeah yeah at murph's we started yeah. outside you started outside because no, you had the you had the, yeah, the, the wireless, wireless yeah. system that's right <laughs> oh and also for the uninitiated too guitar Gullies is a band that featured four guitar players, two bass players, and one drummer. Mm-hmm. And so Greg really had kind of carte blanche. He didn't communicate with us that he was going to go outside. So we were just playing <laughs> one of the songs and Greg just vanished for a while. And so we just like kept rocking in the crowd. That bar was like, speaking of 20 feet by 20 feet, that bar is probably around the similar size. Yeah. And all of our friends were packed into it. And so none of, you know, nobody broke attention. They were there to summon guitar Achilles. And I think Lewis had like got the flu and was playing that he was so sick and didn't want to be there, but we needed him because we need four guitar players to be at our first show. Lewis also had some key solos. He was, know? he was in a way, you know, I mean, I think we're all guitar Achilles, but uh, even you at home kids, uh, it's just that uh, he was good. Guitar Achilles, you know, and I want to say, actually, whenever we're allowed to do a, a a real show again and people are allowed to be together like that, I'm proposing Super Weeks plus Jeff Myers and the LeBold Brothers. So we up it like that's <laughs> oh, two, two drummers, two drummers, three bass players, three bass players, <laughs> four, guitar. four guitar players. I think. It's I'm only for it. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh hell yeah, dude. That's my that's my dream. Couldn't Lewis Guitar come Achilles. too? Because that's this is you're essentially adding everyone except Lewis. Oh no, no, he'll be there. Yeah. So yeah, five. I, I meant that he was included, go. of course. Yeah. And we may as well get uh, Gink from Ape in there too. So it's four bass players, <laughs> four guitar players, two drummers, and one guitar Achilles. <laughs> yeah. I I was just so excited to look back and and think about this stuff that we we did together um, because I forgot so much of it too at the same time you know I mean I I have a lot of new memories that have replaced my old memories and mm-hmm. you know playing drums is one of those things is just like you just go sit down play drums and the world just vanishes it is like really heartwarming you really cared about this thing this weird you know the side project that we were doing that turned into something more. I hadn't reflected on how much of the art you had also done too. You're like a major contributor to this whole thing. 
Super Weeks have always screen printed all of our merch except for our Europe tour, which we had to get them printed in Europe. But that was the only time we didn't do all the printing ourselves. And Greg is 100% the reason behind that from whether it's me going to Greg's room asking him (laughs) and Kat to teach me how to use Photoshop or asking Greg to scan something because he had a nice printer or to print transparencies Mm -hmm. or teach Mm -hmm. me how to screen print on all of his own things. And from there, Greg recorded on the song how to put an audience to sleep and then target used that in a commercial inside of their uh stores Mm. and we got paid out from that we were able to pay everyone who played on that record a little bit of money as a thank you and we bought a bunch of screen printing equipment so we could create everything ourselves because greg had taught us how to do that and even down to teaching us how to screen print with vinyl ink on the back of the world is eps that's you you were there for all of it, man. You are very much the creative guru behind this band. I think that was the that was the one where we we had it all laid out in the main room at the warehouse. Every, so we yes, every surface. Every surface. So we, yeah. we created as many places to lay records as we could. And I mean, how many print jobs I've done? You know, I don't even want to think about it because. I've retired from screen printing, which is maybe horrifying to to say to <laughs> those huge screen print fans of mine that I have. But I mean, I still have my screens. I just I got rid of all my stuff because I don't want my back to hurt anymore. So I had a kid so that my back would hurt <laughs> all the time. But that's my fault because I, I need to do some better exercising and stretching. We're going to have to get uh, you rolled out after this. Yeah, we got a nice yeah, roller yeah. right there. But, we'll roll you around. Yeah, I, I don't blame him. It's it's the crib's fault. And the point I'm trying to make is, <laughs> Evan, you're learning from me the screen printing. It's like that trade-off, which is a perfect example of what was happening at the warehouse, was any resource that you did not quite understand or know how to use or acquire on your own There was someone there that probably had a little bit more knowledge and then they could show you how to do it. So that's one thing I didn't really get to take advantage of with the recording studio at the time. But you were my introduction to capturing my own sounds and making my own music. Lewis got me a Tascam Porta Studio 4-track. You taught me how to dump them into GarageBand. And so I like made all these cassettes and I I limited myself to four tracks on the four track. I I wasn't bouncing anything down. I was just keeping it very simple. So it would be one microphone for the drums, then one bass, one guitar, and one vocal. And sometimes if there was a guitar lead, that would share the same track as the vocal. So it was like I had to kind of cut and paste things in the spot. And it was whatever sound I got on that take, that was my take. Evan guides me into his room and takes me under his wing and says, this is how you do it. And then he falls asleep in his bed. And so I'm there. I did that. I'm, I'm there. I remember that. For hours. Because you had to work at like six in the morning at the coffee shop or wherever it was that you had to go. And I'm sitting there listening and getting levels for these recordings that basically five people are going to listen to on, uh, on Bandcamp. But it doesn't matter because it's just me trying to learn. You know, it's like me trying to do this thing that I think every teenager who wants to be in a band was doing. And I finally figured out that's... So anyway, Evan, you learned from me the art of screen printing and I learned the art of recording from you. And of course, 
we all had tips and tricks for each other with audio and visual stuff. But the bones of it was I was the screen printing guy. I managed the screen printing shop. I definitely took a lot of pride in trying to keep that space as functional as I could, even as messy as it was, as uh, dangerous of uh, space as it, it was. It was a beautiful room until it became the, the, the control room, room the studio, which yeah. then became the most beautiful room. I cannot believe that we waited that long to turn it into a <laughs> control room. It was so cool to see. But yeah, I mean, I spent many hours shirtless, sweating over. I made a living at the time printing for, I think, two or three fashion designers, uh, parquet courts and Hopalong, and they'd have a job. And that would hold me over for a couple months. There'd be a band that drop in. And that allowed me to, with, of course, our cheap rent and sharing space and, and sharing all these things, that allowed me a lot of time to just make my own stuff. And and so I sweated my ass off for hours on end on the other side of that window while you guys or Joe or Kyle were recording a band. And I'm sure it was a beautiful thing for them to see me just... Uh, Sweating and spraying adhesive and slinging ink. It was. Well, that actually, speaking of all of the screen printing stuff, this reminds me of one of my favorite early memories of you before I knew you super well. It was at a band name show. It was pretty close to the warehouse. It was at another, it might have been at Gerard Hall, possibly. Right. You were at the merch table printing shirts for people like there. You you had yeah. a screen with you and you were printing shirts behind that was the, the merch table. Shat shorts and band name split seven inch release show and craig shying who eventually moved into big mamas and again took it to a next level with the big mama's cinematech craig was at gerard hall that was his he was a part of that space and he had a projection of the poster on the wall and so then i was printing and having people print your own poster at the show and yeah, it was just kind of like the beginning of a wave of me trying to relieve myself from the pressure of doing that labor that before the show that then you realize no one's going to buy the poster. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they do. But you're going to print 50 posters and then maybe sell a few and then you're going to be stuck with all these prints. Why not just make it interactive and give them the freaking piece of paper and they have something like a token of memory and that thing I did at the show and it felt good. It was a really good. That's really cool. And then uh, I guess I became friends with you after that. Oh, yeah. I, th I feel like our biggest bonding moment, at least for me, I don't know how clearly you remember this. There was a day where you and Peter were playing pool and I was just watching you guys play. And I don't know if you had this preloaded story, but you wove this narrative of the inventor of pool. Oh, Bill, Bill Yards. Yeah, Bill Yards. Yeah. So at the warehouse, we did have a billiards table. That pool table for the longest time was covered in stuff. People just dumped their gear on it, whatever. Oh, yeah. It was an it was just an island that would attract stuff. And that makes sense when no one's sporty or no one really cares about pool, then you know, it's just gonna get covered in stuff. I think Joe slept on that thing for the first couple of months that the warehouse was oh being created. God. I think his bed was just on it. You'll have to have him back and ask him about it. But what I do know is that we then started to take it very seriously and we were committed to creating a uh, clean billiards table and billiard was invented out of uh i guess passing the time while waiting for each other to hit the ball we sort of invented this tale of bill and his his life which brought him to inventing billiards 
Um, I can't remember a lick of it, though, but I do know <laughs> that Peter was there for the origins of billiards. Was that improvised on the spot? or Mo- was that? Yeah, mostly all of it was improvised completely, yeah. You guys so perfectly yes-handed each other the whole time, and I was, like, physically, like, hurting from how much I was laughing at it because it was, like, the escalation the whole time of, like, the trials and tribulations. It was, like, listening to the Odyssey or, or the Iliad or whatever the Homer's original thing was, uh, be written in real time in front of me, but it was about pool. Well, I have to say, I mean, Peter, of course, a great guy to bounce some banter off of, you know, and you as well. So maybe, you know, maybe that was something you saw a little bit of yourself and what we were up to. And so it just kind of, I mean, you really gut, inspired but- me more to, I mean, I've never like joined improv or took improv classes, but just seeing the interaction between the two of you, it really spurred this sense of like, wanting to have that speed and that willingness to play in the space with somebody. And that became more of like my personality. And I feel like that was like a really seminal moment for me. Right. Just like hearing how much of like a a fantasy you could just like enmesh yourself in for that moment. And then like you're saying now, you don't even remember like a moment of No, of course not. So just like kind of walk away from it afterwards. It's it's cool. Well, I think that's what helps in that sort of situation. You're you're doing something else that's, you're not, thinking about how you're actually trying to tell a funny story. You're trying to play pool, but while you're waiting, it's just even maybe just to try to distract each other from getting a good shot. And you're talking about Bill and how he, his wife and him had raised all these kids. And, you know, once they're out of the house, she ends up starting a hand weaving basket class and he needed to start something for himself. So he went out into the garage and started a a new game that he invented and, uh, he found these balls just down the street. Somebody was getting rid of them. He didn't know what they were for, but they were a little heavy. And he he decided he'd uh, he put them on a table. And there were a few holes in the table because you know sometimes when there's a knot in the branch of a tree, you know, in a nice piece of plywood, there'll be a hole in the the wood, and the ball fell right through. And then he thought, hey, huh, maybe if I put a few more holes in here, then then we can really get something going. Oh, oh, bouncing some balls off some rims and some. You know, and it just evolved from there. And then all of a sudden, Peter has a pool table in the house and we're talking about it. But, you know, it's not like it's always funny when you're not playing pool, though. You know, I'm not playing pool right now, so it's not really that funny. <laughs> but yeah. um, but I want to I want to talk about Peter and Mike Bell and Dear Reader and the Mike Bell in the movies. It was like with Peter, his room where we would go for band practices, I remember just this kind of like setting that was created for us. And he always kind of set this space up where I think it was designed for play, but it was very serious at the same time and getting the job done, you know? So we were trying to learn a song or write a song or just uh, jam. We'd set ourselves up in the room, but we'd also make sure we went and got a six pack of beer from that beer store down the street and We'd get all these different beers that we'd never had before, and then we'd play a song, run it through, and say, oh, that was good. I think we got it. Let's sample a beer. And then we'd all take a little plastic cup and then pour (laughs) this beer into the cup. And so it was like this level up from drinking and playing. You're just plowing through cheap beers. You're drinking strong beer, but rationing through practice and by the end you've done this six seven times with six different beers all of a sudden you're at a perfect level of awareness 
but you feel your buzz and you feel like you accomplished something. It was like a reward, you know? So I think he took the lesson from being a dog owner and giving treats to Wendell to bandmates being <laughs> treating them with beer. So so I think that's what one of his tricks maybe and and he may admit, admit to that he may not. But hanging out with Peter was always playful and extremely serious at the same time if that can even be a thing. No, absolutely. That was such a relief to have him in Cold Fronts. So I played in a lot of bands as a sideman for a while, but it was usually I was the one hired gun to play whatever designated instrument I had to play in the band. And that was one instance in my whole like hired gun career where I got to bring a friend along with me who also got paid to play in the band. And Peter, of course, is very professional and shows up, you know, knowing everything he needs to know and he's ready to play. But at the same time, play in the other sense. He was there to really bring some levity to it, especially in music. If you're doing it as a career for a long time, it's easy to just have like this sort of nose to the grindstone mentality and you suck the joy out of this artistry, this thing that was there was a relief, you know, when I was younger yeah. and it becomes a job just like any other job. And it was nice to be reminded of that. We all want to get together and play with our friends, but when it gets more serious, of course you've got to get focused so you can then allow yourself to have fun at some point during this process, which didn't always mesh well with each band member over time. And depending on their work life or their mood, it just depends on the day. But I had plenty of trouble where I was like, I don't want to play drums today right now because we're working. Like, I feel like I'm working and it wasn't fun to keep running through the same thing over and over again. But if you get through that and then you like have the songs and can play the show, of course, that's like what I always wanted. I just wanted to play the show. I just wanted to get together with my friends and lose myself in the music. And I wanted to perform. I know that it was... I. I need a little spotlight on me every once in a while, you know, and then it warms me up. And of course, reflecting that joy that I give. Well, now that you say spotlight, you were somebody who always could naturally kind of draw a spotlight or a metaphorical spotlight at the very least onto you. Because I remember, especially like during band name shows, Jeremy had his high kicks, of course. Of course. The cat is to. generally a pretty understated person. And you were always drew my attention at those performances. But we were actually talking about like, the Mike Bell shows you would always find your way on mic, even like mid-song too. Because, <laughs> you know, you just had a lot to get out, a lot to yeah. express, but it was always so entertaining. Yeah. Well, my feeling about Mike Bell and the movies was I honestly felt like that band was a band of frontmen. It was just like everybody in that band was the center of attention. Everyone should pay attention to everyone. Loud personalities. But I mean, you know, writing together was, uh, there were many times where it would be like a battle between Peter and Mike or, or Peter and Evan, or I often felt like I was just kind of watching people disagree with each other until <laughs> someone said that they would give it, you know, but it, it really was a place where I was one to thrive because they're all giving so much. And with band name, when John Lurch left the band, I really felt like, well, we lost our lead guitar player. What are we going to do? The element of the fun element of just whatever we've got inside of us needs to come out. And Jeremy and I were like kicking at each other. I was just trying to get my body away from the drums as much as I could while still being behind the drum kit. And uh, it was like he would not admit to being the greatest singer, but he was in a punk rock band. So what's he going to do? He's going to sing his heart out and play guitar sloppy and awesomely make everyone laugh and have a great time. You know, we, we wrote some janky fun tunes, you know, but, uh, 
I mean, we'll even, let's be honest, even when I'm just standing in the crowd and your band's playing, I might just say one word and then all of a sudden, you know, it's me, you know, I, I have a comment and then the... <laughs> well, you have a very distinct, like rich baritone voice that like very few other humans possess. So you kind of cut through the noise in a way that only your voice can. I think that could be read as some kind of like cry for, you know, pay attention to me, look at me, you know, I, I'm not on the stage now, but I, I want to be, and and it might be, but uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's also just if it's appropriate to say something, it's appropriate to say something, and, you know, your band's not playing a song, the crowd's going to start talking. Mm -hmm. You got to talk first. Any super week show that happens in the future, whenever shows start to happen again, you're welcome to talk right through it. I'm always happy to hear your voice in the crowd. I can't wait. I really can't wait for that, you know. Yeah, just... well, who knows? Who knows when that's going to happen? So it seems the consensus is that the band name album that we finished mixing like two or three years ago at this point is only not up because the three artists haven't done the album art. That is, I think, the only thing maybe holding it back from being So can being done. you do me a favor and mm -hmm. just i'm just gonna name the album more high kicks from band name and i was just gonna draw it on um, a piece of paper <laughs> and tell you guys that it's the art so you can release it into the world because it's very good and the world needs to hear it yeah and evan and i put a lot of work into that record too <laughs> can you please just put it out <laughs> You're telling me, I mean, I think it was funny because I remember when we made that, when we started making that record, because this is like seven years now, I think that this thing has been seven or eight, man, sitting. And we recorded that with Joe. He gave us a great deal. And I won't say how much money each band member paid, but that marked this point where I, like, I put all this money into it that then made my life very stressful. And we never finished the record for like, five years it was like six years it was finished a year ago i think a year or two ago, i think you know. two was two years okay. ago we that finished i finished it, it while we were building the control room so i don't have any excuse for the art so i think three years ago i i do think that we had an idea for what the art was going to be and then it just fell to the wayside and it fell to the wayside and it just you know, we didn't know what we were going to do with it. Now I think it's just supposed to just go up on the internet and people are going to buy it and it's going to like make millions. And uh, <laughs> I can Wait, did Kat finish her parts? Yes. Everything's done. done. As far as I know, everything's wow. done. Yeah. What I know is that we've been waiting for you, Evan, to make the art. <laughs> I'll do it right now. Oh, during so this it's podcast. your fault. This whole time. <laughs> I'll do it right now. Yeah, that is a shame that you guys put all that hard work into it. And I'm sure as... I mean, it's more of a shame that you guys put all that hard work into oh, it. Oh, for me, it was just a couple days of drumming and I forgot all about it. So, you know, it's just <laughs> the only thing I really remember is being out of that money for a little bit and how it set me back a bit. But... Evan's actually... I don't know if you yeah, can hear he's him. He's, draw, he's, he's frantically <laughs> drawing the art right now. <laughs> But speaking of art, uh, Ballspot Comics. You yeah, contributed we, one of those to Teenage Bob, the limited edition art pamphlet, too. Uh, oh, my God. Did I forget to bring that? Oh, no. Are you kidding me? I had it all packed up, and I was bringing it over. That's not enough. You need to do more <laughs> yeah, draw, than that. Evan just wrote the name out. Draw something, Evan. <laughs> I think you need. I think it should be called Lost High Kicks, you know, because oh, we almost. Is it like a, like, a, like a David Lynch play there, like on Lost, lost Highway? Almost <laughs> Lost. Uh, it should just say lost high kicks and have a photo of Bill Pullman. So yeah, I was going to bring the comic 
I had it all packed up and I think I left it at the house. I was going to give it to you guys. It just means I'll have to come back and do a whole other one of these part 13 or however however many of these we're doing. But Do as many uh, as you want. Yeah, I've been making comics since 2009 probably and they're called Bald Spot Comics and I've been slowly making them on the internet but not putting them out in physical form very often because the internet, you know, it's free and easy and, and you mm-hmm. can read it online instead of in your hand and i contributed i think i didn't make very many comics in 2020 i was working on one where i crawl up my own ass and essentially discover what crawled up my ass and has been bugging me but the other comic i drew was the teenage blob comic and that was for your zine and the video game which i still have yet to play the game which is embarrassing to say but i am a little bit more versed in technology since COVID, I started learning a lot. Oh, yeah, we had no choice. We all have to become techies now. Yeah, right? I started learning a lot of things. I started using YouTube. Oh, wow, that's that's very ground floor. You can just watch videos, anything. People put videos on YouTube, and I started watching them. I can guarantee you if anyone who's already listening to a podcast knows how to watch <laughs> things on YouTube. <laughs> no, I knew, I knew about YouTube. It's just that uh, I started, like, actually looking for things I specific to what I, I really needed. And, you know, I started learning how to circuit bend electronic toys. I started diving into animating. And uh, there's this illustration that Evan and Chris have just handed me says, for the band name oh, record. Oh, don't put my name on that. <laughs> well, you handed it to me. It just says, more high kicks by band name. And there's an illustration of a, what looks to be like a, Small but wide bong and a little bit of smoke coming out of just the male piece. And that's it. And I don't know one third of band name might sign off on this. And I don't know which third, but <laughs> where was I? I just You're talking about like creating during the pandemic. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess it's essentially just everything I started with, with Evan learning recording, all my recordings were going into these tape machines and then eventually I got a loop pedal which I I think I sent Evan some of the loop recordings I've been working on and those loop recordings are being used for now video stuff that I've got going on with green screens and stop motion animation and uh, drawing comics Uh, all of these things are coming into one thing which is now called gas which is the agents of gas right remember the agents of gas (laughs) So now I have this video program called Generic Access Show Series. It's a gas. And that's um, <laughs> essentially, again, another thing under the Guitar Gilles umbrella, but it's the video version of my song and dance costume characters and skits. And some people start a podcast during a pandemic and <laughs> uh, some people just start playing dress up and making dolls and, and well- filming it. <laughs> <laughs> which is what I've been doing. So, Oh, I saw some of your animations on, it was on Facebook maybe, but I didn't realize you were doing a whole variety show. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a mixed bag of me things that I'm interested in. Yeah. So it's like noise or dance or exercise or stop motion animation drawings. There's just layers and layers of Greg stuff to be put out there. I just kind of can't leave it inside anymore. Got to get it out. Got to get your gas out. Got to get it out. It's a release. Got to get your gas out. (laughs) That's 
my pandemic message is you got to get it out, whatever it is. But if it's coronavirus, <laughs> don't give it to anybody. Keep that to yourself. Keep that in. That's the <laughs> yeah, one. Keep yeah. Keep that. But if it's anything else, get it out. So another thing while we have you here, Greg, your birthday party, oh. a staple of the warehouse in my life and even years after the warehouse. November 1st, the uh, big Greg celebration. The Greggies, as I know it, yeah. Yeah, the Greggy Awards. What do you want to know about the Greggy Awards, Evan? <laughs> oh, nothing. I know everything about them. Oh, yes. Well, I actually had a dispute, and I brought this up uh, on another episode, and I don't know if you listened to this one already. There was a year where I, I had an organized group costume of the Marx Brothers that even, in, in, I was Groucho, and it even included my dog as Chico, and you thought I was Charlie Chaplin, and I got a runner-up Greggy. I got a half Greggy. You know, I'm not here to make any kind of claim like I know the history of comedy and I see a reference well and that it stands out to me. It's a blur. You know, the the decisions that are made on that night during this epic event where there are a lot of costumes, there are a lot of awards to be given out, and the Marx Brothers, I missed it. You know, I got to say I missed it. I just want to know, when does my La La Land moonlight moment happen? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where you switch that Greggy over to me, the well-deserved Greggy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a few extra ones just floating around in the house that I can drop one oh, off I, to. I won know. the <laughs> following year, I think, so I shouldn't even be complaining. But, uh, but Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, I used to make little wooden sculptures of myself. Uh, it was my 11th grade high school yearbook photo. Then I'd print them on wood and cut them out and decorate them and give them to people if they dressed up in costumes for my birthday because it's the day after Halloween and I need people to dress up in costume and come to my birthday party. But the warehouse was a perfect place for that because you know you got nine roommates and they invite nine people and then all of a sudden you've got about 100 people in a crazy costume party and they're all competing for an award that really means nothing because what are awards when you really think about it but a picture of someone in their high school photo on a piece of wood <laughs> that's what i think how the emmy started was just some guy's face on a piece of wood and oh uh, yeah the original cave emmys yeah best pterodactyl call things like that yeah to let you know you're better there or you to let it. other people know you're better yeah. oh see i forgot that's what it's all about. But it is a yeah, it is a reward for trying to be better than everybody else in the costume performance arena at the Greggy Awards. But yeah, you know, sometimes it was like pulling teeth getting people to be involved. Not everybody wants to dress up. Day after Halloween, it's over. No more. Well, for me, that was the best part of the Greggy because it was the day after Halloween. I could go to like a Halloween adventure or masquerade in Philly or whatever, and they've slashed all of their prices on costumes so you could get what would be normally like a $50 Captain America costume complete with shield and helmet for $7. There you go. Out of the bargain bin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the move. So my birthday is like your Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, yeah, well it's similar to yeah, like what we call Pen Christmas in Philly, the day where all the pen kids move out of their dorms and they throw out all their incredible expensive furniture. And then scumbags like us go to the dumpsters and we pick out all the best stuff. You know, it's yeah. Yeah, that was a beautiful. Uh, when I learned about that, I recognized the ecosystems kind of taking advantage of each other. You know, it was just like this. Oh, it's not my problem anymore, and just leave it outside of your dorm. But then somebody who needs something is like, "Hey, I'm going to check. It's that time of year again. Mm-hmm. It's like when the flowers bloom or when the trees." 
Yeah, we're like bees out there getting nectar from flowers to feed our larvae. I mean, same with the dumpster diving for Trader Joe's food. And I know a lot of people would turn their nose down to someone who jump into a dumpster during the winter and grab a bunch of bread and fruit and pies. and I do it to this day. It has an expiration date for a reason, and that reason is that they're not liable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they can move product off the shelves. Yeah, yeah, and get it to go, you know? And also because it does decay at some point, and it's it's going to be inedible. But, you know, saves everybody the trouble. Put a date on it. Very wise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we landed here. <laughs> I see you've gotten even more fatherly as after becoming a father. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that we're going through like life lessons. The, <laughs> it's <yeah>. very nice. <laughs> the classic cheap dad attitude of like, <laughs> hey, don't put that in the garbage yet. It's got it's got plenty of meat left on the bone. Just wipe some of that dust off. Oh of yeah, food on. The, you know, at this point, it's like, yeah, I'll eat out of a dumpster. I knew that I was going to do that. I've done that. But let's say. You got a slice of pizza or a, a piece of sausage and you give it to your kid and your kid's two and he's like, okay, I'll take this sausage. And then he just walks away and he drops it on the ground because he doesn't actually want it, but he doesn't want to tell you that he doesn't want it. And you're like, what the fuck? That's a great piece of sausage. What are you doing? It's not trash. I'm eating it. It's been on the ground for a couple seconds, I'm sure. But, you know, if if my cats don't get to it, um, but yeah, I'm a dad and I have a lot to learn and teach. And uh, and with that comes many lessons from YouTube, of course, because we can't <laughs> take him to daycare anymore and can't take him to play group. And so learning numbers and the alphabet from the internet. Does he watch uh, Bippy? Is that, was that the name of the No, guy? we won't watch Blippy, uh, but we will watch. There's like a, a, a can, it's Canadian, I think, and it has a partner t- television program. And I can't believe... We're talking about this, uh, but uh, yeah, we watch some Canadian TV on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember talk, talking to the guys in Pop about that. Some of the children's programming in Canada is absolutely insane. <laughs> that is the loudest straw I've ever heard. I just, I just really want you to draw attention to my... <laughs> Greg has a, like a, a solid straw that he brought, like a reusable straw that he brought from home that he had in his pocket when he walked in. <laughs> That he proudly brandished before dropping it into his seltzer can. So tell us, Greg, about your straw. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of my son's straws from, it's like a sippy cup convertible jar with a rubber uh, lining. And it's just to wean him off of his baby bottle so we can get him into cups, you know. He likes cups, but this is a messy process, you know, switching from bottle to cup. You need a, a lid with a straw. And so that works for a 38-year-old, too, who... Wants to drink out of a can and wear a mask at the same time while doing a podcast. Just slip it right under. <laughs> well, there you have it. I'm really sorry I interrupted you, though. That that was I have no idea what I was saying. <laughs> was, anybody, was anybody paying attention? Because I wasn't. Pup Canadian programming. Oh, right. The Canadian children's programming. There is a, a show that they would watch when they were kids that had a talking pineapple puppet. And I wish I could remember the name of the show. This pineapple is anthropomorphic, has a full-on face, and the eyes are so like wide and upsetting. There's something that we've accepted about Sesame Street, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, they're they're monsters, but they're essentially just like strangely distended teddy bears, basically, with like slightly larger eyes that sit on top of their head. But other than that, they're functionally a fuzzy 
friendly, mm -hmm. gentle creature. Oh yeah, that's it. That's the yeah. Uh, Wilson has found a photo of this horrifying pineapple. I'll let Greg look at it. But yeah, like in Sesame Street, like they're fuzzy creatures for the most yeah. part. They chose a fruit, which is an everyday object, but they picked the most like dangerous looking fruit. It's a that's a spiky. Uh... It's yeah. a spiky fruit. You can't hug that thing. And, and additionally, if like, I mean, not that you want to cut this anthropomorphic pineapple open, but uh, like that's a fruit that I feel like you cut it wrong, you eat the wrong part of it. It can like dissolve your gums and stuff with the acidity of it. And on top of that, it's just like this horrifying visage on this pineapple where its eyes are wide and it's like really in, in horror of its own existence. I don't know. That's Canadian television. Yeah, we haven't seen that one yet. And maybe I'll look for it tomorrow, but monster trucks and... Construction vehicles, they're a big part of our daily routine. When You watch Paw Patrol? No, my nephew's a big fan of that, and, and I'm sure all of your fans are going to go crazy when they have kids, and they're going to be like, man, I'm going to watch all these shows these guys have been talking about if they don't already watch them because cartoons are No, they're going to be watching for the greatest children's show of all time, Gas. Oh, yeah, gas, yeah. Well, it's not really a kid's show, but it's not really, like, an adult's show. It's and going to be the best kid's show of all time. Gas. It's for everybody. It's generic, and it's an all-access pass to everything gas. That's, it's a gas. Andrew, I gotta say, your voice is one of my favorites to hear on the podcast. I feel like <laughs> I should have been like, I want to hear Andrew talk. Uh, he's got probably the best voice out of anybody and i don't know why you give you don't you like make him sing all the songs Evan and i actually discussed that before. we're like how are we the singers in this band when we have mikey and wilson do these like beautiful rich like masculine voices and yeah it's it's incredible we've really goofed this up i'm sure andrew you have a lot of feelings you'd like to share um <laughs> pick a feeling go for it happiness you feel happy about this i feel i just feel happy in general yeah wow that's wonderful. Well, I admire all your voices, of course, but Andrew, I, I wanted to make that note that you've got a great voice and I didn't hear it very much because we were talking about things that I don't think anybody's going to understand, but, uh, you know, that's because you got to see it to believe it. Am I right? Well, Greg, you paint a really good visual picture for the audience. Yeah, you got to hear it to believe it. You're an artist. I don't like to label myself. I'm a little bold. Does that make sense? Wait, wait, do it. <laughs> Hold on, here we go. I don't like to put labels on myself. I'm, I am a, oh God, jeez. You know, cut that, cut all of that and put this in there. <laughs> they don't call me Gregory la Labeled. They call me Gregory Lubbold. Get it? Okay, yes. Got it? We got there. We got there. <laughs> I'm not good. just an artist. I'm not even my name. I'm on this podcast. That's it for now in this moment. Well, you mentioned it. <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned it before, but uh, what are the dreams that you're working towards in the future? What, uh, you know, where is Gregory LeBold going? Uh, I am going to purge. We're finally getting our house fixed. So all the stuff I had in the basement, which is stuff that was at the warehouse, which is stuff that was at like my multiple studios for years, years, years. I'm trying to get rid of a lot of that stuff, purge, let go of some things, make room for many video and music recording kind of collages of 
animation and some live performance stuff. I'm, I'm actually doing a live performance at this gallery on Tuesday next week. And I think it's this thing called Lino Kino at a gallery called Automat. And uh, it's in the 319 building in Philadelphia. And they're doing kind of like a public access TV channel streaming through Twitch or something. And uh, I'm doing a gas show. I can't tell you what's going to happen because I'm still working on it. But uh, <laughs> they can still look for gas on YouTube, generic access show mm-hmm. series, which will hold all of the creative Gregisms and put them into place. But uh, you can see the future is wide open. And I don't know. I mean, I hope I can stick to that plan, but something else might come along and we'll start doing that too. And I'll probably see it on YouTube and that's how I'll get there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause it's new. You should check it out. Yeah. We'll link it in the uh, show notes for everybody. So if you're listening on, you know, I don't think you can do it through Spotify, but on the Apple podcast app, we'll have gas hyperlinked in the show notes and you can click on it and go right to whatever Greg, whatever, gas, to go to. Yeah, whatever <laughs> yeah. gas he wants you to go to. It's just a, a photo of a gas station. Wow. Yeah. Now that's some- an evil trick. But where the price of gas is cheap. Oh, that's nice, at least. Free. Whoa, that's <laughs> as cheap as it gets. Yeah. All right, let's let it go. Oh, you mean <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in charge of this thing. Was you that guys, the end? Let's keep it going. <laughs> that's the uh, first time I guess. That's a good ending. Declared the ending. <laughs> I mean, if you want to have a baritone off, we can do that, too. Though. All right, have a baritone off. How's it start? Yeah, wh- what are the rules? I think that it should be like a horse style where one of you sets up the shot of like what the line will be. And then the other person has to say that line more baritone-esque. As a judge, we're going to start with the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Let's see. uh, Should we do a coin toss? (laughs) Just toss whatever you find in your pocket. Uh, My pockets are actually empty right now. And you're going to toss this black bag. It's black on one side and black on the other. All right, call it in the air. I call the black Heads. side. All right, Greg, Greg got it. It's black. All right, so the, what's the saying here? I just forgot. The quick brown fox. I think I fucked it up already. What was nope, it? It's the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. The quick, wait, what? The quick, <laughs> what? <laughs> the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. That was really good. Beautiful, yeah. I lost it at the end. I was mesmerized. Mm. Wilson? The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Wow. The viewers are missing out on my favorite part of that word, the eyebrow action you you threw in (laughs) to express your way through it. I think I lost some points because I didn't use my eyebrows. Oh, no, no, this is a a baritone off. Don't you worry about that. There's some, Some of the greatest baritones in history didn't have any eyebrows. Okay. The next sentence is their name. Was meaty pate. Do I go again, or is this Andrew this time? Uh, I think it was the last round was a tie, so we'll we'll default back to you again, Greg. The their name was their name was meaty pate. Their name was oh their name was meaty 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 pate. I had to say it three times because <laughs> it's that meaty. Wow, <laughs> heightening the experience with that interpretive. Wilson, your response? Their name was Meaty Pate. Oh, oh simple and clean. Yeah, that was nice. A that, potent response, yeah. I gotta say. A riposte. As the guest, I gotta 
I got to say he won. I, I, I have to I have to call it. See, that's the thing is we're going to ask our listeners. Yep, all three of them. Uh, <laughs> so the final round, a classic phrase from our youth, so you can really dip into nostalgia for this one. Arts, farts, and private parts. We'll start this round with Andrew Wilson. Arts, farts, and private parts. Again, a clean finish. Mm. Very powerful. Greg? I got a little burp here. Hold on. (laughs) 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 Gotta get that gas out. It's all about brand imaging. Here we go. Arts, farts, and body parts? (laughs) No, that's... (laughs) Unfortunately... Due to a technical error, <laughs> Greg LeBold has lost the baritone off. I forgot what I was supposed to say. <laughs> I'm telling you. I felt like I was listening to James Earl Jones there bringing a movie in. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, shit. We should have just said some Mufasa or Darth Vader shit. We totally fucked this up. All right, just say, Luke, I am your father. <laughs> For the win, Luke, I am your father. Let's start with Andrew, the winner of the last round. Luke. I am your father. Mike Bell, I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a that joke is going to play well with the super fans of the podcast. Yeah, I blew I blew it on purpose for you, Mike. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> well, Greg, thank you very much for joining us today on uh, the Super Week Super Weekly Supercast. Thank you, Greg. It's been a joy. This was awesome. I am I am so happy and Happy, happy. Oh, 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 goodbye.